Welcome to the Unconventional Dyad Podcast, where psychology and psychoanalysis meet social justice, feminism, politics, climate change, critical theory, graduate student mental health, and the arts. Your hosts are Carly and Laura, two graduate students and friends committed to bridging the gap between the field of psychology, social issues, and society. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Unconventional Dyad podcast. Today, we speak with Candace Subernat. Candace has been a therapist for 15 years and is the founder of the LGBTQ affirming counseling, coaching, and spiritual direction practice, The Christian Closet. She's also the founder of Progressive Christian Counseling, an online therapeutic resource for Christians who come from a progressively minded faith. She works with people from all over the world, undoing limiting beliefs about God and the self in order to find beauty, freedom, and wholeness. Candace is a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute and the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. She identifies as a lesbian and as a Christian. She lives in a small mountain town in Southern California with her wife, the love of her life, Crystal, and their six-year-old boy-girl twins, Deacon and Dylan. If she's not working, you can find her testing science projects with her kids, playing family board games, and wrestling with their puppy, Charlie Bonds. Today on the podcast, we discuss Candace's work with the LGBTQ community. We also talk about spiritual trauma and spiritual abuse, especially as it shows up in therapy. We discuss how queerness can be used to encapsulate identities that do not fit in black and white boxes. And we talk about teletherapy and its ability to reach marginalized communities. Lastly, we also discuss Candace's evolving views on God and spirituality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Candace, thank you so much for joining us on the Unconventional Diet Podcast. Thanks for having me, ladies. We are really excited to talk to you today. Um, why don't we start off with you just introducing yourself to our listeners and maybe sharing some aspects of your identity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, so my name is Candace Zubernat. Um, I identify in many ways. Uh, so I'm cisgendered uh, woman. She, her, hers are um, my pronouns. I am also gay. I uh, also identify as lesbian or queer. I use those inter- and interchangeably. Um, and I'm a mom of uh, boy-girl twins, Deacon and Dylan. They are going to be seven this May, which I could bawl my eyes out right now. Uh, and I'm also a wife. Uh, Crystal and I have been, let's see, we've been together for almost 16 years um, and married for eight uh, and so, uh, I'm lucky enough to be married to the best person I know. And, um, it never gets old. I think when, when you're queer and it's not a given that you're, that you're going to have a spouse or kids, uh, the gift of that is, um, it doesn't get old. It's, it's really, uh, I'm often connected to the, um, gratefulness of that. Uh, let's see what else. I'm a therapist. Uh, 
So I've been a therapist for almost the same amount of time. Um, I met Crystal in the beginning of my therapy days. Uh, and I've been doing telehealth, so online therapy, for about nine of those years. Uh, and I'm the founder of The Christian Closet. And so my team of now we have 11 um, clinicians and we all do therapy and coaching for LGBTQ people of faith online. So we see people all over the world. That's very awesome. And you were in the telehealth world way before it became hip and cool, it sounds like. I was. Yeah. When it first started, it was not a thing. People were like, what is this? Um, and I wasn't even sure if it would work, if I would like it. Um, I'm not a good faker. So I was like, if I don't like this, I cannot fake it, you know? Uh, but it's such beautiful work to really feel connected through the computer with, with people. Um, and it gives access to therapy and coaching to people who wouldn't normally have it, right? Like it can be so scary, especially when you're closeted or when you're trying to figure out your sexual orientation or trying to figure out, you know, how, what's this God piece in that? Um, it's so vulnerable to drive your car to someone's office and have it in the parking lot and be sitting in a waiting room. Like anyone, it could, it feels like anyone could pop in there at any moment. Right. Um, and that level of anxiety is, is just too much sometimes to, uh, have people get the support that they need. Um, and then, you know, the intersections of faith with sexual orientation and gender identity, um, it's hard to find clinicians who really get both. Um, oftentimes people will say like, I've seen a therapist who is like, go and be your guest or best gay self, right? Like, and just screw your faith. Like what, just leave that behind. Why would you ever want to have a faith that they're going to reject you? Screw them anyways. And then they'll go and see like a Christian therapist. And that Christian therapist is like, God loves you, but definitely just push being queer away. Um, and it's like, you're missing the point. I can't get rid of either of these identities. So now what? Um, and that's where my team and I are sort of specially located in those intersections of getting uh, that our faith and our sexual orientation or gender identity, they all kind of exist in the same place within us. Um, and it takes time to be able to navigate, like, how do, how and can these things integrate in a, in a beautiful, holistic way? Uh, and we would say, absolutely, they can. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm wondering if you're comfortable sharing a little bit about maybe your own journey and what brought you into doing this work. Yeah. Well, I was raised in a Christian family myself and um, people always assume like, oh, did you have like horrible experiences growing up in the church? And they were saying that all gay people are going to hell. And I'm like, no, I had the best experiences growing up in church. Um, it was a really happy childhood filled with love. Um, and but it wasn't until I started to realize that I was attracted to women that the breakdown started to happen. So I was in college. Um, I was at a Bible college, in fact, and I fell in love with one of my friends who was a girl. Uh, and that was shocking and scary and horrible. Um, 
I did not know one other gay person. I had never heard of other queer people. Um, it was just this total random fluke thing, it felt like. And then I was thrown into this reality of like, so now what? Um, I now don't fit into this narrow space that I fit so well before. You know, before it was like, if you follow all these rules, then it works out. And I was like, yeah, I'm following all these rules and it's working out. Like, that's true. And then suddenly this thing happened that it, that um, equation didn't work and I didn't know what to do. And so that can be traumatizing. That was traumatizing for me and it's traumatizing for so many because you, the first thing you do is you start to internalize that you, the problem must be you then. If that equation doesn't work, you are the problem and you are shameful and you are bad. And so I spent many years in that space of trying all kinds of things, of fasting and praying, confessing, going to church. I got engaged to a pastor, a man, um, going to seminary, like nut. I tried everything to, to get myself in this right space so that this thing would go away. Um, obviously it did not. And so as I was in seminary and graduate school, studying to um, get my master's in counseling psychology, I met and fell in love with the woman who's now my wife. And falling in love with her changed everything um, because I had been told, if you're ever with a woman, you will, you'll feel so far from God. You will feel convicted by the Holy Spirit and you will just really, I was told literally that I would want to die. Um, but I had really already wanted to die for so long, but it's still, it was terrifying. Right? So when I shared my first kiss with Crystal at 26 years old, um, I was like, Oh my God, everyone has been wrong. I felt God's blessing. And I felt God saying like, filling up the car we were in, just like, I love you. This is how I made you. And it was like, Oh my gosh, like everyone was wrong and God and I are good. And from that day forward, I knew I could like God's blessing um, over being queer. Uh, but that started us on a whole process of then what do we do with our with our community who were conservative Christians, with our families, with all of our friends. Um, so we were in a closeted relationship for five years, which was incredibly painful and uh, you know uh, not healthy. That's that's a really a painful and unhealthy way to live. And all of that pain came out in really messy ways. Um, we drank more than we should have. We ate more than we should have. Like all the ways, you know, we were just really trying to survive and cope. I now look back on that time and, and think like we did a really fucking good job. As messy as we were, like we were in a place where we were not supported and we had to hide because we knew that we would be rejected. Um, so if it was a little messy, I still think we did really good. Uh, but in that place, I was also graduating and becoming a therapist and trying to help people become whole themselves as I was struggling with that. Uh, and so it really, it wasn't until I was able to accept myself and come out and uh, understand how I could be a, a lesbian woman in this world that I was able to really find my fit as a therapist in this world. And uh, it seemed like the most natural thing for me to walk with people through the similar path 
Um, like you can be happy and whole and healthy and be LGBTQ plus. And if you want, also have a faith in God. Um, so that's the work I get to do every single day. That's uh, definitely my dream job. I love that. I love that. I definitely see this dualistic thinking in, um, especially in the faith communities. I, I also grew up in a Christian home and I consider myself Christian. And there's this dualistic thinking where it's like, you can either be faithful or you can be this other thing. Um, and I just love how you're bringing the two worlds together and really operating in the gray areas of life, which is how life is in general. It's not black or white. It's not easy to categorize into one or the other. Um, did you know you wanted to be a Christian therapist when you started out? Was that kind of your intent or was that something that developed as you were going through your own journey? Yeah. And I have, you know, clients who will say like, so what is, are you a Christian therapist or like, what is this? Like, <laughs> and I, I more identify as like a therapist who's a Christian, um, but I, and I never really understood like, why, why did I do all of this deep, um, all of my education is in places where I was simultaneously learning about therapy and people, but also the Bible. And why, why is that? And now I get like, oh, it's because so many of the conversations I have with people are about God and they're about the Bible and they're about how those two things um, show us what God might have for us in our, in our lives. Um, but I think it's really important to, you know, respect where they're coming from. So sometimes to talk about God or the Bible is scary. Um, and so as a therapist who is a Christian, um, I don't need to talk about those things. It's okay if you don't want to talk about, uh, God or the Bible in any way or any kind of faith. Uh, but if you're, if that's a part of where you're at, I'm so there and I love it. Um, and I think that there's, we are all spiritual beings, but I think a part of like the, another part of the gift of being queer is exactly what you're saying is it suddenly you are in the gray space. And what you realize is God is all over the grayness, um, mm -hmm. that God is way bigger than we actually think, um, and that's why I think, gosh, I know recently, you know, the Pope just came out with this statement um, and how damaging that is to, to put those lines around love, to put those lines around God's love uh, is so damaging. And I just don't see that in the Bible. It's sort of like, how, what are you seeing in the Bible that... Um, that is having you put such strict boundaries around God's love and blessing. Uh, the entire life of Jesus is undoing all of that, that we see that over and over again in the story of Jesus is um, taking the rules of the day and the Pharisees who are so, you know, committed to this black and white thinking and saying, no, I love you, but also you're getting it wrong. You're getting it wrong. Um, there are no lines to my love. There, there's no boundaries to my blessing and love. And um, so somehow the Pope has, has been unable to see that. I'm guessing it has more to do with other things, uh, power and pressure and patriarchy and all those kinds of things. 
but you know, I don't, I, I am not him, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times we do tend to limit, um, our views of God or our image of God. Um, and we make God smaller, I think, than, um, maybe what God actually is. So I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate your clarification too, that you're not a Christian therapist, but you're a therapist who's Christian. That's, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of how I identify. And it's, this is my own dualistic thinking. Like if I'm Christian, I have to be a Christian therapist. I don't, I don't, that's just a part of my identity. Um, and it might play into what I do, but yeah. So I really appreciate that clarification as well. Um, how has the um, whole event with the Pope shown up in your work? You mentioned before we hit record that a lot of your clients are kind of talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, so damaging uh, to, I mean, just this morning alone, sitting with people as they wept um, because there's a lot of power, right? When, when someone says like, I am... Um, I hear from God in a different way than you do. I hear from God more accurately. I hear from God uh, more frequently. And somehow I am more holy than you. Uh, essentially, I am, when I speak, I'm speaking God's voice and, and what God has to say. Wow. Okay. So that is a lot of power you're coming with, uh, sir, <laughs> people. And so to to then say um, your love for someone of the same gender is not valid is um, it, it is incredibly hard to not internalize that as then you are bad. Who you are as a LGBTQ plus person is bad and you should feel ashamed. And so trying to figure out like, what do I do now? I mean, so many of the people I, I work with are now in this place of like trying to undo and start to realize like they actually, we all get the same access to God. We all get the same access. There is not one other person who is more holy, who is closer to God. Um, but those ways of thinking, it takes time to undo that. Um, and I, I think it's spiritually abusive and traumatizing for people um, and, and really serious. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. The spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma. That was one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on the show is because you've worked in that space with those issues. Um, what can you tell our listeners about spiritual trauma or spiritual abuse and maybe how you've seen it show up in your work? Yeah, I mean, I have personally experienced it um, when... You know, for my own story, I had pastors and um, therapists and church leaders take the Bible and um, bring with it an authority that they have said, here's what God is saying to you. It's in a controlling way. So people who have more power than you are using God's voice, claiming to use God's voice and, and the Bible to control you. Um, and to try and have you do what they think you should do. And when that's different than what your own soul is telling you is right and is who you are, that creates a break inside of you um, and a split. And that is uh, 
when that becomes something that um, impacts your mental health, um, when that becomes something that, you know, for a lot of LGBTQ people, when they even just think about opening their Bible or they think about going to church, they have a panic attack. That's showing you that you are someone who experienced spiritual trauma or spiritual abuse and that that place needs care and it needs uh, space to get healing. Um, and it happens all the time. Um, and honestly, I think one part that's so hard is, you know, a lot of these pastors and church leaders and therapists, they think that they're doing good, right? They're not trying to hurt people. Uh, I, I don't think the Pope is trying to hurt millions and billions of people, but you know what? Uh, he is. And so even when we're not trying to do that, trying to do harm, harm happens. Yeah. So how do you, how do you help clients with that? Cause that's so huge to even, how do you start chipping away at that mm -hmm. spiritual trauma? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and a really hard one. And I like to tell people it takes time. I wish that it was really fast, uh, but it's just not. I mean, I, 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 I'm a therapist doing this work. I have been in therapy myself for many, many years. I am in spiritual direction myself. And there are still times where it surprises me. I'm like, oh, wow, there it is. It's like poking its head up. Um, but really it's through grief grieving what has happened. It's through trying to develop and find your own connection to God and hearing God's voice personally for your own life. Um, it's in uh, realizing and finding God in places outside of the church and outside of the Bible, uh, and sometimes experiencing God in other religious places. Um, the spiritual direction that I'm in is with a rabbi. Obviously, I'm not Jewish, but it's been so healing for me to have a rabbi um, be a spiritual guide in my life and, and show me different faces and different ways of believing about God and the Bible. Uh, so it's, it's a process of grieving and trying to reimagine and redo uh, parts of people's imaginations and spiritual lives. I'm imagining scenarios in which people are not fully aware of the extent of their oppression or the extent th uh, to which they are being oppressed. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious if you had experiences where that became illuminated in treatment, where people are realizing how much that they have been oppressed and that that is affecting them. Yes. Yeah. Just the other day, someone told me a story, um, and obviously I can't share that, but I said, oh my gosh, that's spiritual abuse. And they just look like their jaw dropped open and, and they were, you know, no one has ever said that to me. No one has ever said that this was spiritual abuse. And they thought that their reaction to, to, to what had happened just affirmed that they were extra bad, right? So why were they having panic attacks going to church why couldn't they read their Bible every day anymore? They just assumed it was because there was something wrong with them. And it's like, no, that's showing you you have PTSD. There has been a trauma. And it was so affirming. It was like, oh, I'm actually re responding and reacting in the way that I should be. Um, this is 
pointing to a pain or a trauma that's happened. So that happens all the time because most of the time uh, they don't have a lot of people around them reflecting that back to them. And so that's absolutely some of the work that we do is helping people understand and frame and define their stories in more accurate ways. The reason I asked, I grew up in a really small community, and I would imagine that many, many other people can relate to this too. There are, the communities are so small, they're so isolated. And growing up, I knew one gay person in my community, Mm -hmm. one. And in fact, she came out and was no longer out like a few years later. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just imagining a scenario in which people aren't even aware of the level of oppression that you're, that they're feeling, the heteropatriarchy, whatever it is, the patriarchy, the, you know, the religious ideology that they're living in in the moment, whatever it might be. And I, just the, the mere idea of them being uh, confronted with this level of whatever it might be, abuse or um, oppression. I just, I'm, I'm just imagining that happening and it just being an event for them. Mm. Yeah. Mind blown, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it takes time to be able to trust yourself. So that person in your community, you know, they had this, this space and this time where they really did this incredibly courageous, bold thing, and they trusted themselves and they came out. And sometimes it's just too scary and too painful. And we, um, we, we question uh, ourselves and we trust others more than ourselves. And that's okay, too, right? There's so much time and grace and space for someone like her, you know? Um, hey, if you needed to go back into the closet, okay. Um, that's okay. But uh, let's, try and, let's try and find other places of support so that you can choose you again and that you can find that inner voice and trust that. Um, because I believe that that inner voice, that still small voice that is inside of you, um, that you hear is God. Um, it's you and God inside of there, um, saying like you are beloved. Um, but it's very disorientating to have everyone else around you saying, Nope, that's not God. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy making sometimes. It it just, it reminds me this whole time I've been thinking about this idea of teletherapy and just how important that is to reach individuals like that in these communities and these isolated communities. And I just, I'm so thankful you've been doing that work because I think that um, eventually I'm hoping that people can be reached. People can be, you know, have resources available to them that really need it in those communities. So I just, I'm so thankful that, that you and others are doing, doing that work. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes people will say like, are you so depressed all the time? Are you like so heavy hearing all these sad stories? You know, like, and I'm like, no, this is a dream. Are you kidding me? I get to walk with people towards life, towards wholeness, towards loving themselves. That's like the most hopeful work ever. Um, okay. We have to go through some pain and some sadness to get there, but I've been doing this long enough that I know what's on the other side of that pain and that heartache. And so even when it's a heavy day, there's still so much hope. It's, it's uh, not hard work. Uh, it's really exciting. Speaking of hope, that's a perfect transition. Mm-hmm. Um, Carly and I la- like to ask our guests about where they find hope, um, maybe in the future or in the work they do. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit, where you're currently seeing hope? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, as sad and like almost <laughs> hopeless as it is to have something like the Pope come out and say what, what he said, um, I get all morning long. Like I said, I sat with people who wept about it, but it was incredibly hopeful because what they also were doing is being able to, like I said, connect to that still small voice inside of them and start to realize like, wait a second, God is maybe even queer. Like God is genderless or encompassing of all genders, both genders. Like, you know, to see that like eye opening, mind opening, aha moment, um, with all of these individuals and knowing that like they're going to now go into their communities and spread that message of God's love being bigger and God's identity even and gender is bigger is really hopeful. Um, so I get to see it every day. I also get to see it with my kids. Um, I think spending time with kids is so healing play is so healing, but also so hopeful. Um, when I ask my kids questions about God, their, their answers are just so beautiful. And I'm like, Oh my God, how do you know? It seems like you know more about God than I do. Like, they're just like joy mom. Like obviously God loves everyone, you know, or, um, the questions that they have, uh, like, if something silly like why why is why aren't the dinosaurs included in the genesis story i grew up in a place where or a space you just didn't even think of those questions because questions weren't to be asked uh but that's so hopeful to me that the my kids are in a in a generation of people who are willing and able to say there are all these really big questions but it also doesn't have to make the bible like not true or not important um but it it does have a way of making the bible more gray um if the dinosaurs aren't included maybe there are other things that aren't included that are still true right yeah i think um a lot of the Christian communities that I've been in just struggle with the grace so much. Um, it's uncomfortable to be in that space. We like to have sure answers. We we want to know what the answers are. And I think especially for somebody who's very religious, like to not have those answers is really scary sometimes. It's so nice to know. I want to know so bad. I want to know that I know and it feels really good. So I get it. I'm there with you, you know? Uh, and so honestly, that's why I'm so glad that I'm gay because if I wasn't, I would totally be one of those people who was still in this place of like, oh no, I know and it is black and white. Um, it's a gift to me to not, um, like it doesn't, that doesn't work. And my queerness brought that gift. Um, it feels good to know, but also uh, we actually might not get to know. And that's faith. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the point of faith. Absolutely. That's beautifully said. Thank you for saying that. Um, I'm wondering if you'd be comfortable talking about how your views on God and on religion or spirituality have maybe shifted for you personally over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, you know, I really grew up with this idea, this belief that the path to God is really narrow. 
um, that you could fall away really easily, that you could even fall away from God and, and not even realize it, that you could trick yourself into thinking that you were on the right path while being on the wrong path. Um, so there's a lot of fear, um, fear-based thinking. You don't want to break those rules. And, um, and so the gift of my queerness really undid all of that. And now I'm in a, a place of, um, constantly experiencing and thinking of God in, in places and in ways that are far outside of the church and far outside of the Bible. Um, or redoing. I have a queer Bible commentary, or there's a feminist Bible commentary, or there's, you know, there's all these other ways and frames and ways of thinking about the Bible stories that are so exciting uh, to think about um, even Jesus uh, mirroring the trans experience. Or, I mean, there's, it's really it's, I get so jazzed and so nerdy and all this stuff. <laughs> I'm always telling my wife what I'm learning and she's like, okay, honey, great. Good for you. you know? I'm like, my Christmas wish list is this Bible commentary and this Bible commentary. <laughs> um, so it's, it's kind of like an exciting adventure uh, now more than before. And, and trying to uh, always widen that box of uh, God's encompassing acceptance even more um, because I'm human too, right? So I like boxes um, and trying to always open them up and flatten them out. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I think we all do. We all like that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Carly, do you have other thoughts or comments? I'm just taking in this conversation. Uh, I have, I will probably have a lot of thoughts when we get done recording, <laughs> but I'm just really enjoying this conversation. And I love, I love that the conversation went in the direction of queerness. Um, I think that oftentimes that, that, that pivot is avoided. And I don't know why that is, but I think bringing the conversation more into this, this, this realm of queerness, I think was just amazing. And I just really appreciated that. Thanks. So we have one last question for you. Um, I'm wondering if you can share one lesson that you learned maybe this past year, or if you want to reflect on the course of your life, just one lesson that has really stuck with you um, that you'd like to share with the listeners. Yeah. I think one of the biggest lessons of my life is I used to think that it was really easy to, to ruin a life that if you made one bad decision, it was over, um, that it was really hard to recover from a, a misstep. And what I have learned is that it's actually really hard to ruin a life, that it's really hard. Um, like life is so much bigger. There's uh, so many opportunities that will continue to come your way. And I think if, if, life is bigger than maybe God is bigger too. Um, and so even if you, um, maybe you have made a misstep in your life, like, um, that, that is not the end of the story for you by far. And, uh, so I would say that's been the biggest lesson of my life. That's beautiful. Any final thoughts for our listeners or the, the episode today? 
You know, I think a lot of times I remember, you know, before I went to therapy for the first time, I thought it was really only for people who were very unhealthy, kind of crazy. Um, and what I realized is that, um, you know, it's, it's for all of us, really. It's what it is, is it's a safe place um, where you can try things on, where you can try on the things that make you scare, scared and see what it, what it feels like, where you can um, say the things that you have nowhere to say. And so if you're hearing this and you're thinking like, I wonder if, or what would it be like to try that? Um, that's a sign, like try it. And, um, have, you know, make lots of calls to therapists, ask lots of questions on those calls, trust your gut. Uh, I always tell people like, if you say, if in that consultation call, if you say a joke and the therapist doesn't laugh, it's not a good fit. Um, cause like personality fit is huge also in the work. Um, so find the right fit for you and, uh, it will change your life in really beautiful, powerful ways. That's a great, wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much, Candice. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we really appreciate your time and everything you've shared with us.